Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Parastyle Podcast on a Monday. We're going to talk some USC Trojan football. Spring break is over, so spring ball starts again this week. So the next four weeks, three practices per week, we'll have updates on what's going on for USC spring football practices. They're getting ready for the 2019 season. We got the coach, Harvey Hyde, on the show today. If you have any questions or comments, you can drop us an email, podcast at uscfootball.com. Or if you'd rather text us or leave us a voicemail, you can do that too. 424-254-9141 is the number. We like your texts. We like your voicemails. Please uh, leave us whatever you want to talk about. Let us know. And we'd love to do that here on the show. We do a couple podcasts every week. And we had uh, we took a little hiatus from uh, Coach Harvey Hyde last week. It was spring break, lots of stuff going on. But the coach is back this week. Follow him on Twitter at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can also go to his website, harveyhyde.com. What's up, Coach? How are you? I am doing absolutely awesome. Uh, had a time this last week to catch up. Made a quick trip uh, out of town for business and back. And now I'm getting ready for the second week of spring practice at USC. Had a chance to go to a couple other spring practices, which I enjoy. I'd like to you know, see what everybody's doing and uh, talk to a lot of coaches and players and so on. And it was just a great week off. Caught up with a lot of things, and now we're back to work. Yeah, back to work. And, uh, you know, we I wanted to talk to you last week because I was out of town uh, for the Thursday and Saturday practices, so I didn't get to see what happened. I know you were there on Saturday for the, uh, the full pads practice, which maybe was a little bit of a surprise. Um, so I wanted to kind of talk to you about what you saw out there because really this was the first time the team was in full pads with some with all these new coaches and some of the new players. Um, so maybe we could start off, Coach, if you remember, since it was a little over a week ago, uh, what what'd you see uh, last Saturday out of practice? No, uh, I, I can remember because there's definite things that I look for. And the first thing I was doing was evaluating the new coaches, trying to see what their te- teaching techniques are and how they communicate with the players and and see just what's what's going on as far as how they fit into this group because uh, you are a teacher you're teaching uh, players who have been recruited by another coach and also he is evaluating you that means the players much as you are evaluating him so you want to see how this process is going because there's got to be a good marriage here. For the player to perform, he's going to have to want to perform for the coach. And he's going to want to do what the coach is asking. But, again, there's a way of teaching and communicating. And at first, there isn't a lot of yelling or screaming. There's getting to know each other so that people are getting better in what they do and they're satisfied with the results, either way or both ways. So I, I did do that and uh, went around, and, and I looked at the different positions. As close as you know how it is there. We don't have a chance to to watch everything but i think that when i look at it uh i really think that this coaching staff is better than what the coaching staff was before not that the other coaches aren't any good i think that these coaches have more experience 
And I think it's real important to have experience. Uh, whether they, they've never, some of them have worked together and some haven't. But you got a backfield coach who's coached uh, at Texas Tech, been a head football coach in, in the Mid American Conference. Uh, you've got uh, an offensive line coach that's always been an offensive line coach, not a running back coach, and has coached for many great coaches. You've got a receiver coach that played receiver, not quarterback. And again, uh, T. Martin was really liked by his players. So again, uh, Colbert's got to really gain or, or get the confidence of these receivers. And Baxter's back with the tight ends. And then, of course, the quarterbacks are being coached by Harold, which I think is great. He should coach the quarterbacks. That's what he played. Uh, that's what he expects. So I was watching to see exactly how that happened on the defensive side of the football. I was watching the new defensive line coach, and I think that's a tremendous improvement there because you've got to have great defensive line play. And in the past, I don't think, at least this past year, the defensive line performed up to its ability. You've got great players. You've got four- and five-star players, yet they're playing like, I'm not going to say two- or one-star players, but they're playing where they're playing out of position at times. They're going to the wrong gaps at times. And they're creating holes and things that shouldn't be there because they're doing the wrong things, containing and so on. So I think when you have a defensive line coach that's coached uh, big-time players at Utah and players that have gone into the NFL and have been on great programs, I think uh, these coaches, these players, too, have some respect for who the defensive line coach is. And, and he's not a hollower or not a screamer that I, that I could see, but I think that's an improvement. And to have another outside linebacker coach, I didn't have a chance to really evaluate him much. And uh, I liked uh, Burns. I liked the, court, uh, the, the quarterback coach, uh, co- coaching the corners. He was specific. He taught him where to line up as far as where you are on the field, as far as when you close down the field on the goal line and so on. He was talking to them about why line up in the end zone when you only have to cover three or four yards or they score a touchdown. And I heard him talk about that. So I thought that was very important. So as far as evaluating the talent, I think the most surprising player was Williams, Devon Williams, the receiver. I thought he's going to be a superstar uh, in the near future. And I'll tell you, he'll challenge and play a lot of football. And uh, I'm trying to think. And I like the freshman quarterback. He rotates in there. He's not intimidated. I thought he threw the ball well. Uh, I'm trying to think if I missed anything. But I think another thing I want to mention, too, I think they spend far too much time on special teams. They're doing that again in the middle of practice. They go to special teams, worked on kickoff return. As you've always heard me say, if you're working on kickoff return and you have to return too many kickoffs, it doesn't make any difference anyway because you're getting beat. I would do that in early outs, before practice starts, go out and work on some of those techniques when you're involved in only maybe uh, return guys and two or three blockers on the field and then later uh, work into uh, maybe they don't do it in the spring anyway, live anyway. So you can't really, you can't really uh, block it live unless you're going live. So, you know, you just pick up who you're doing. And I thought that was a little bit too long. I hope they don't do that all spring because it's too much. And then again, they worked field goal. They didn't go live on it, but uh, uh, they were in full pads. I would have liked to see them put pressure on the kicker. I think that uh, when you're going to work these things, you got to be like it's a game. You're going to win or lose a game. It's a scoring play. 
And I think you got to put pressure on it because it's the timing of the snap and the kick and the kicker getting used to pressure and different type of stunts and different type of things on the outside to work on, not just stand there and watch to see if it's good or not good. And they worked on getting on and off the field as far as, you know, uh, end of a half or a game kicking field goal. And uh, I would like to see him run from the sideline uh, onto the field and have a countdown. And I'd like to have a team coming off the field. Because if you don't get your team off the field in time, what's the difference of getting the other team on the field at time? Uh, so you've got to be able to work it both ways so both guys understand that you only got 10 seconds or 12 seconds left in the game. It's just important to get your team off the field as to get your team on the field. So I'd like to see it done in entirely if you're going to work on that. That's about it, and I'm sorry I went so long. No, no, that's good. It's, uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on what you saw out there at practice. I felt the same way about uh, special teams. Uh, Keaton Slovis has, you know, I, I think a lot of people have talked about him as someone that's been impressive for an incoming freshman. So, uh, you know, it's, he's probably not going to win the job, but it's nice to have someone coming in that, uh, you know, uh, you know, uh, Kurt Warner was saying some really good things about him coming out of high school. So having another uh, capable body back there, I think will help. And uh, Devin Williams, for sure. I think he's someone that's been impressive and in, a, in an offense where you're going to get four wide receivers on the field a lot. He's probably going to see a lot more playing time than he would have uh, before. Um, so yeah, some interesting points there from you know the, what you saw out there in spring football, and they they get back at it, coach, this week, Tuesday, Thursday, oh, yeah. and Saturday. They'll be back. Yep, I'll be out there Saturday again during the week. They basically aren't in. They're not getting done what I want to see. So I want to see um, in full pads and maybe going a little bit more liver. And when the officials are there, uh, I was <laughs> I was. <laughs> You guys are going to laugh at this. I was on the, in our playpen area, and they were working some goal line routes and so on. And the official was on our side. I'll, I'll mention this to on officials. And the guy had pass interference, and I yelled at him, call the flag, call the flag, that's pass interference. Guy turned around and started laughing at me. He said, hey, I've been used to working on officials. That's what I do, work on you guys. And he started laughing and talking. But one thing about the officials, if you're going to have them out there, call the game, call the plays. Call it closer than what you do, do it in a game. That way, if you call it really close, then in the game, uh, you're going to be okay. But if you don't call it close in practice, the, things, the kids think they can get away with something, holding on the offensive line or whatever. So you've got to call those to, to make sure that uh, the kids understand that. And also I noticed, too, with the officials, you don't see the short, stubby, out-of-shape guy anymore. You start to see the younger officials, I'd say 35, whatever they are, in great shape so they can move around the field and so on. Before it was sort of uh, the older type of official who worked his way up from the bottom all the way up, not that these guys haven't, but tend to let themselves get out of shape a little bit. But these officials all look like they're in great shape. So that's the comment on the officials. Yeah, no, it's good to have the officials out there. Um, So let's see. Uh, I want to, there's this thing that happened coach last week. I don't know if you must <laughs> another FBI investigation, uh, into college entrance, uh, sc- a scandal involving a, a guy named Rick Singer, who was masterminding this, uh, kind of a two pronged scam where you could help people that want to get in his business is to help, uh, students get into colleges, but he was doing it uh, going beyond the law, uh, either by helping them cheat to get better SAT, ACT scores or 
fake uh, an athletic career that would get them uh, into colleges easier because of an athletic background that really didn't exist. USC was heavily involved in this one. And, uh, you know, the only it's uh, unfortunate because USC was involved in the last FBI investigation for NCAA uh, with the the basketball scandal. So um, and so USC was the only institution that was involved in both of those. And also in this last one, the only one that had uh, an athletic director involved instead of just coaches. But we got a long voicemail from Bobby. It was like three minutes long. Bobby, we can't we can't play three minute voicemails, man. You got to like uh you know, pare it down a little bit. Uh, be, be a little more focused uh, when you leave your voicemails. But basically, he wants to know, uh, you know what you think about this. He said, you know, he talked about USC being the only university that was in both scandals. Uh, he thinks they need to fire everybody, overhaul that, overhaul compli- the athletic department, overall compliance as well. And he's wondering if the NCAA is going to do anything like what they did to SMU, uh, you know, a, a death penalty sort of thing. Is that kind of potential there? And then he talked about, um, so Alan Dershowitz, who's a Harvard professor, lawyer guy, he said this is the worst worst scandal involving elite universities in the history of the United States. So it's pretty strong words from uh, Alan Dershowitz, and and uh, Bobby agreed with him because it, this involves you know the testing process, the SAT, the ACT. It involves all these elite colleges. It involves coaches in USC's you know case athletic department, uh, and also charities. So people were. The, you would get the bribes would go to a charity so you could write off your bribe. So this is a pretty big deal. He feels this is just the tip of the iceberg. Um, and it's only talking about the very rich, the people that can't donate buildings. If you're the super rich and you can donate a building, you can get your kids into school no matter what. This is if you couldn't afford to do a building, this is what you were paying like half a million dollars or $200,000 or a million dollars or whatever to get your kid uh, into school. So, um, just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on this and uh, you know, what Bobby had to say about the scandal. And and are you worried that the NCAA could come in and, and give USC the death penalty? No, they're not going to give USC the death penalty. But first of all, I don't know if there's any NCAA violations in that. None of these kids played or, or did anything like that. They just got in school. Right. And and unfortunately they got in school a way that is it the set standard of getting in school, and obviously on test scores, if you don't uh, uh, take the score the test uh, properly and get them scored properly, then the test shouldn't count. And again, uh, I think that is as much on the people that graded the test as, or be it was a part of all of that, as as the kids, as you know, a lot of the kids don't even know any of this went on. So. You know, calling it a scandal and the biggest scandal ever in this net, I think everybody just gave this great press talk, okay? And everybody loves to talk about it. And it's front page. It's just unfortunate that if you're a Trojan, you've had so many things happen recently that it just says what's next and and so on and so on. But, uh, you know, these type of things have been going on for years. And, and I know for a fact, I had, I know big donors, okay? and not only USC, but other universities, big donors, that have told me their kids don't get in school, okay? And I know they don't because I know where they go, to a community college or whatever it is, and these people get big money. So it isn't, you know, we're grouping this in with all, anybody who's put their name on a building. Obviously, if there's something wrong doing here, hey, these guys are real friends of the university. Without these type of donors, 
they don't have a university that's the quality of USC. So let's don't throw all the donors and think that everything has happened this way. Uh, So, you know, yes, it isn't right. It isn't right. But again, uh, uh, it's something that that happens. And uh, uh, parents sometimes get a little bit too carried away in thinking, oh, my kid got to go to USC. My kid's got to go to Yale. What will everybody think if they have to go to a different school or a community college to get their grades up? Oh, I'll be embarrassed and all this and that. That's where it all starts. And uh, they fall under a form of what you call special admits. And uh, each athletic department or all athletic departments normally have what you call special admits, which means football gets, uh, let's say they give 100 to the athletic department. Like football gets 15, basketball gets three, track and field gets five. I don't know. I don't know whatever you want to do. And, and you get all of these different sports. And what happens normally, these guys put these players' names down or whoever does. Maybe the coaches don't even know when the list is turned in, somebody adds it. I don't know. I don't know what actually happened there. And then uh, all of a sudden uh, this happens. But uh, it's not just USC. It's other schools that are involved in this. And I think as a uh, college president or as a objective person, if someone gave $20 million, if George Lucas gave $50 million or whatever, and I'm using his name, I don't even know where his kids went to school, to the cinema school, wouldn't you think that the university might look at his kids a little differently? I mean, I, I would think that would make sense to me. Like, oh, they only have a 4-2. Well, he's done some really extracurricular activities that have made our university better in a lot of ways, such as athletes do. So, you know, everything isn't always fair, and I'm not saying that's correct. But I think that you see that, find that in business, you find it in everything. Some people get promoted that shouldn't be promoted over other people, right? Well, you know, this is wrong. Don't get anybody, get the wrong idea. But uh, uh, this will all be worked out, uh, and you'll find that, uh, you know, things will continue. Yeah. Uh, I mean, Dershowitz goes so far. He doesn't even want to see, like, uh, like if you're a football player, to be able to get into a school. So if you go to Stanford, he wants you to have the exact same admission. You know, he doesn't want uh, athletes to get some kind of pass. And he had some interesting things to say about um, now you're talking about school. Like, the colleges don't fail people anymore. They don't do a lot of grades. So this wouldn't happen before because if you could get into a school and you didn't belong there, you just fail out. Now they don't do that anymore. But it, uh, he kind of take things a little far. But for what you know, for Bobby asking about the NCAA, yeah, I, we haven't seen the NCAA really get involved. I think in either FBI investigation, we're not sure how that's going to happen. But like Coach said, in this case, it's not really. This wasn't really some sort of uh, sports scandal. It's it's really about admissions. It's getting a player in, and then they had to hide them from either the coach if it was the administrator getting them in, or the coach was getting people in. And even I think in the water polo case uh, with Jovan Vazek, I think he was putting the money into his program. So it was almost like, hey, we don't have enough money in our program. I'm going to get a couple fake people in. I'm not saying that's right, but um, I, I think it's a little worse than what 
uh, it's not as bad as what like Donna Heinel was doing where she was getting in people and, and lining her own pocketbook there. Uh, so that was pretty interesting. But Lynn Swan hasn't done an interview with us in the media coach for quite a while. Uh, we make a lot of requests, the athletic director at USC, and he doesn't really um, want to talk to us. Uh, he spoke at a Trojan club event where he said, people don't want to hear from me. Um, and he kind of gave some insights there, but it was to USC boosters only. But he did talk to uh, Arash Markazi from the Los Angeles Times uh, in Las Vegas at the Pac-12 basketball tournament. And so uh, we've known Arash for a long time. Great dude. Uh, he's a you know adjunct professor at USC. Uh, it was interesting over the weekend, the LA Times kind of came out with two columns about USC, one from Bill Plaschke where he said, Lin Swan is in way over his head and needs to resign. And one that was more supportive, uh, Arash Markazi. And that's who Lin Swan ended up talking to. Um, but I wanted to know, get your thoughts on, if you read the the piece, Coach, and um, Lin Swan's talk about you know getting quote-unquote blindsided and the the lack of oversight with Donna Heinel and stuff. But any thoughts on what uh, Lin had to say in the LA Times? The only thing that I can remember out of that article that was irregular I mean, I can't remember it all, okay? No, no problem. So I can't. But the thing that I, my biggest comment on, it took him to answer the phone at 7 a.m. when he's in bed. <laughs> three calls. I'm embarrassed he said that. Yeah. Took three calls <laughs> to answer the phone in bed. Now, where was he? Augusta, Georgia? Uh, was he at where when they called him? I don't know where he is. He plays golf everywhere. Uh, not nothing against the game of golf. But when you get a call from the university, I would think immediately I'd react to that and make a call back. And being in bed at 7, and I don't know where he lives, and I don't know if it's a work day or not, but by the time you get up and shave and work out or do whatever, do you get in the office in traffic in L.A. maybe 10 (laughs) o'clock? So I'm saying those are pretty good hours for an athletic director. Maybe this is why a lot of these things were not paid attention to with individual meetings and the things where you call, and I hate to use this term, but the NCAA uses this term all the time, lack of institutional control. You know what that means? Everything. Yeah. So they can throw anything into that. I hate to use that term. That's the only thing I remember, because I still cannot believe took three calls to wake him up at 7 in the morning, and he seemed like, from the article, he was somewhat perturbed about it. Yeah. Like, Why am I getting calls at 7 in the morning? Well, (laughs) If he was in Augusta, that would be, uh, I think that's East Coast time. So that would essentially be um, like 10 a.m. out there, you know. Uh, so, yeah, that's uh, that's probably not uh, what you want to be saying. I get that, though. A lot of people on the message boards, Coach, were saying the same things. Like, you can't get up at 7, in the clock, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning. Like, what? It's not like you're working late nights as USC's athletic director. Um, but th- the thing that concerned me a little bit, Coach, was talking about you know, how they were blindsided by this. And I, I feel like that was the sort of excuse that was made. Like, hey, we were blindsided. We had no idea she was involved in all this stuff. Even though Donna Heinel was doing one of these, those seminar things that she doesn't, you know, she was getting paid as, you know, running an outside firm to, you know, helping these counselors and students. And she would have these events on campus. So it, like, it was there, like you could see this. And if you are blindsided, it's it's not necessarily like you're the victim. That means what were you doing that you didn't see this? And I feel like 
uh, you know, he talked about that she had no oversight, that she was the sole person that would a- admit these people. We talked to people like on the, you know, uh, you know, s- sources on the football team. They had to run people through her. So uh, I-, I feel like this was somewhat of an issue, coach. And if you had a more experienced athletic director, maybe they would have seen some of the warning signs. Because if you were blindsided, I feel like there was some clear red flags out there and they weren't addressed. And the last two athletic directors really, you know, have never done this before and never like oversaw anyone like this. So I kind of feel coach, some of the comments he made, uh, I get what you're saying. You're blindsided, but that, I don't think that reflected well on you or the organization. If you were blindsided by this, where there seems to be some obvious red flags there. Well, blindsided, he, he probably was. Obviously, he probably wasn't aware of this type of list. I, I really don't. I want to stand uh, and, and say the right things here. Probably wasn't even aware how that all happened to uh, to want to look at the list or understood how it could happen. Or he wouldn't be saying that, but the first thing that would happen, uh, she would say to him, hey, wait a minute, you gave me three names. and uh, And I put your three names on this list. So to me... You don't throw rocks at people who live in glass houses, okay? So obviously, as an athletic director, I wouldn't be saying that I didn't know anything about this unless I didn't know anything about this because you could have many people come back, especially the people you fired, come back and say, what are you talking about, Lynn? You gave me five names last year or somebody that was an alumnus or a friend. Maybe we didn't get paid or we didn't get paid for it, but you put them on the list. Somebody that is somebody's friend to do that. So I'm not saying that happened. I'm just saying I believe he was blindsided. I don't believe he had any idea that what was going on or how students got in school. I'm not quite sure how uh, much of a hands-on guy he is and he does, he just more or less is in the position of public relations. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, I think that's the point. Uh, but if you are leading the department, you kind of need, I think you need some of those skill sets, you know I mean? That, there's yeah, there's I a agree. point. Yeah. I agree with Brian. Brian, who taught him? What experience did he have? Yeah. No. I mean, I mean, you go back and your president or the people that recommended him. It's not his fault. Lynn took that job because they offered him a lot of money and he came back to a great university he played at and went to school. Hey, you got to look back and point the finger, not always at the guy, but who put him in that position. Exactly. Yeah. People and, blame and the people that put, that's right. That people the blame, blame where it should be. Yeah. People blame Clay Helton. And it's like, look, if you were offered a dream job like that, you would take it. Like you got to look at who hired him. You got to look at Pat Hayden and you know, he didn't have the experience. So if you're seeing problems, you're like, yeah, there were red flags when you were going to hire, especially when you hire someone that uh, you're going to hire another former football player. And Pat Hayden was pretty much a disaster as the athletic director. And now this is all looking worse because a lot of this FBI scandal stuff happened under his watch. Um, You go back to the well again. It was almost like hiring Steve Sarkeesian after you hired Lane Kiffin, like you didn't learn your lesson. Like you, did you not learn from Lane? No, you go out and hire Sark and he lasts for 15 or 16 games. Uh, but yeah, it's hard to blame Lynn Swan. I was talking to a, a hall of fame USC football player over the weekend who called in to 
called me to vent a little bit and he would have taken the athletic director job. And I'm like, no, you shouldn't be the athletic director. But that's, you know, but if, if someone called and offered them if, to you or me or whatever, and you're not qualified, you're like, hey, this is a great opportunity. It's a lot of money. I think I can do a good job. Um, but I think in those cases, you have to bring in the fact that neither Pat Hayden or Lynn Swan brought in someone from the outside that was an experienced athletic director basically just means whatever was going on in the program was going to continue to go on. And we've seen it just kind of spiral out of control. They need a powerful voice that's not from inside USC to come in and look at this critically because there's obviously issues there, coach. But you don't have any, you know, Lynn Swan might have some critical thoughts, but he doesn't know how it's run anywhere else. And either did Pat Hayden. So having someone outside, like a former athletic director, to be like Lynn Swan's other right hand man. I think would have been helpful. Like, Hey, we did this here. We did this there. No one's been like that. So no one could have come in and go, you know what? You really shouldn't have one person overseeing all athletes admittance. And she can't go through all that one person. And by the way, she's doing this outside consulting firm uh, on the side and making money and doing events on campus. Like this is not a good look. That's a conflict of interest, whatever. And I think if you had a critical voice from outside coach, you could have done that. Ne- neither Pat Hayden or Lynn Swan has brought that in. Yeah, and, and I agree with what you're saying, and I'm saying it goes back to, you know, who hires these guys. And See, I, and I've said this a hundred times about the football coach or other coaches or positions at USC, the med school, whatever. Hey, you got to be the best to get at USC. I've always held USC at a standard where no matter what position you have, you've got to have qualifications to get this position because it's top of the line, okay? It's big time. You got to have somebody up there that's been a college president for years, not somebody just hung around. You got to have people that in all of your deans and all of your schools and med schools and so on that are Nobel Prize winners, but didn't just do it somewhere else and came in and became your dean because he can write articles, but have come up through the system and have worked with faculty. And the same thing with an athletic director as far as having communication with your coaches and understand how to build that tree of administration and, and how you work with parents and boosters and student athletes. You don't do that if all of a sudden you just come to a job you've never done. That's like asking me to become a heart surgeon. Okay, Ryan, and you're going to be my first patient. Okay? <laughs> no, thanks. no, thanks, I mean, coach. <laughs> how stupid is that? I mean, really, think about it. I mean, it doesn't happen, or I'm going to become a pilot of a plane and I've never flown before. I mean, guys, it all starts with that part of it, okay? It's not Clay help. They took the job, like you said. I love Clay. But you've got to get the best of the best at USC, and they haven't been doing that. Yeah, 100%. Um, Speaking of getting the best of the best, a little bit of disturbing news over the weekend not it's not you know you can you can argue how major this is but we we got word um uh, i believe it was saturday that uh eric ziskin uh was leaving uh the the football program so it's unfortunate um he uh you know he's a key support staff member on the recruiting side and his official source uh, title was uh, assistant athletic director, uh, recruiting and player personnel. Um, so basically he was the head of the, uh, recruiting support staff and USC is already short staffed in that department. Um, they had 
lost Alex Rios, who was like the on-campus uh, recruiting coordinator guy, uh, after the UNLV game last year, and they didn't replace him for about a half a year. Um, so they they brought in uh, uh, Kelsey Winkle from Colorado State. So they brought her in in February, I believe it was. Uh, so she basically was taking the place of Alex Rios. Um, but, you know, they got Gavin Morris and Trey Johnson, and that's about it right now. So uh, with Ziskin leaving, he was the guy that would tweet out the, the fight on emojis when any uh, when USC would get a fax in or a, a player would sign on either of the signing days. So he was a fun guy to follow uh, on Twitter. But um, going, you know, from what you're told from sources, he's not going to be, uh, you know, it, working in football. It's not like he got poached by another school or anything like that. But to me, Coach, I know you didn't have big, like, recruiting support staffs when you were a coach. But the la- the landscape of college football now is there's there's big departments for this. Um, you know, double-digit guys. USC has, like, three full-time uh play like full-time people in this department right now. Plus, you know, a bunch of student workers that help out. Uh, I, I mean, I don't think it's a great sign uh, that he's leaving the business and it's not an easy business. You know, you've been in coaching. It, it's, it's very demanding. It takes a lot of time and these guys don't get the kind of fanfare and, and pay that an assistant coach uh, would get. Uh, but any kind of thoughts on, on Eric Ziskin leaving the program coach and, does Clay Helton and Lynn Swan need to come together and like, look, we have to put more investment into this and have a staff that's similar to what a Clemson or an Alabama or Ohio State would have? Because right now, Coach, they're just so far behind those those major schools. They just don't have anywhere near the kind of bodies that, that those programs do. Well, I think, again, it's uh, due to lack of understanding and importance uh, they always, uh, I think they, they, their excuse is well, whatever they have to hire somebody, it takes them too long. Uh, everything you, you say, how long does it take to hire a, a coach or whatever it is? It takes forever at USC. And I think they use the excuse, excuse me for saying this, oh, we don't have the money. We got to wait, uh, got to wait till something happens and so on. I, I just believe this and I don't know for sure, but there's got to be a reason. And another thing. Ryan, so you guys know out there, having 20 recruiting coordinators doesn't make you a better recruiting team. It's having quality recruiting coordinators, guys that know how to evaluate talent, guys that have been in the game, guys that can pick up the phone and call a head football coach anywhere in the country, and they take his call. Not that some kid calls, and they say, who is it? I never heard of him before. I mean, it's the same thing in recruiting that I've been preaching to you and everybody about the quality of what recruiting coordinators are. That's your future. I used to always be on top of recruiting. And my recruiting coordinators, oh, well, they became general managers in the NFL. And I can tell you and give you the book for the read about it. When he mentions me in it and how he started and the whole thing, two or three of them. You got to have guys that are on the move that can evaluate talent and are aggressive and want to be in the NFL and want to be able to break down talent better than anybody else. They're at everything that's going on anywhere, like you are, Ryan, if it's legal. <laughs> and I'm telling, I mean, you know, if you can beat all these things, I don't know what the rules are now, but they got to stay in the office all day, all night long, watching videos, calling other people, finding out about teams, calling the high school coach finding out what type of character they have and so on. And unless you have a relationship with those coaches, then forget it. 
I used to have several. Now, don't get me wrong. I had recruiting coordinators. I would have one that knew California, everybody. I'd have one that would know Arizona and uh, Utah and, and somewhere else. But I would have somebody from those states. We didn't recruit the nation like, of course, USC does. But I wanted somebody that could pick up the phone, talk to people. He'd coach in that area, not kids. I want people that know what a football player looks like and can evaluate it. And not one player was ever given a scholarship unless we as a staff watched him play. And then there was one guy that gave the final approval, and that was me. And I would call him, make that type of presentation and, and, and tell them why and what, so what, whatever. But, hey, it's not the numbers. It's the quality. You can go to 100 doctors. But which one are you going to go to? You're going to go to one that knows uh, the, the operating rooms and the procedures and, and can get in and take care of you and do what's necessary. Well, the same thing recruiting. It's the same thing in every area. And, and how can you not have people at USC in that area and be down numbers. I mean, that doesn't make sense. That's the future. Everybody from the state of California is leaving the state because quality recruiting people from other states that they have set up that are working in a position to, how do you beat USC? I don't know how you beat them. I have no idea how you beat them. But they, and they don't know how they beat them either. I'm going to be honest with you. But they find a way through whatever their mechanism or hard work and evaluation and knowing what to say. Talking to a student athlete means so much when you talk to one. And, and uh, you know, how you let them know. I won't tell you, but I talked to one in Vegas who's the number one player in the nation at his position. And, and I told him the other day, if I was still coaching, you wouldn't go anywhere but my school. <laughs> he started laughing. And his high school coach came running over and said, who is this guy talking to him? And I told him, and he remembered me, and we were talking. I said, players like you is what pay- feed my family. And I said, and my payment back to you is to make sure you make a, a, get a degree and you too also feed your family. Yeah. And uh, that's what it's all about. you got to love recruiting. I loved recruiting. I loved it. I loved meeting people and so on. And as a head football coach, you got to love it, man. Yeah, recruiting is important, and uh, you just don't you don't want to see USC fall. You know, they're already falling behind in some of these areas, and I feel like USC had success, so you didn't really need that kind of a big support staff. I know from sources we talked to, they don't want to have another ho hum recruiting class, so I feel like they're going to you know, address this, uh, replace Eric Ziskin, and maybe bring in some more people. So that's from where people we talk to, they're they're, they're pretty optimistic that that's going to happen. Uh, we'll see, and how long does it take? Uh, I don't know, but they took way too long to replace Alex Rios coach. And uh, I, you, you saw that the, the recruiting class was not nowhere near the kind of standards that USC has. So we'll see if they're, they're going to be a little bit faster to replace a guy like Eric Ziskin. We definitely wish him the best. I know we, we, we talk about the sports staff a lot. We're always very supportive of those guys because they're doing the work of multiple people. They have to do a lot. There's a lot on their plate and you know, guys like Gavin Morris have to go out on the road and recruit because when an assistant can't do it, he ends up getting promoted or whatever, you know, to, to do that. So he's on the road recruiting. He can't do his support staff stuff either. So um, it's a, it's a small group and I think they work really hard 
They just need uh, they need some more people. So hopefully that Clay Helton and uh, Lynn Swan will address that this offseason. Um, we got one last thing for you, Coach. We had a text question. Uh, he didn't say who it was. It's from. It says, is Matt Fink the key to the air raid at USC? The wings of his heels can keep opposing defenses honest, and he brings the poise of an upperclassman. Not a lot of talk about Matt Fink, to be honest, Coach. What, what do you think about Matt Fink and running the air raid? Well, you know, everybody keeps talking about uh, who the quarterback's going to be, and this, again, is Graham Harrell's decision on who the quarterback's going to be along with Clay Held, but it depends on what your philosophy is going to be on what you're going to do with the quarterback. Are you going to play what type of quarterback? Are you going to throw the ball every down and not worry about his running uh, uh, potential? Or are you going to have a quarterback that runs and passes, a combination? Or are you going to have uh, uh, what? Uh, and I think this is what he has to decide after evaluating the quarterbacks is what's going to be the best for us. Do we have someone that can't do this or do that, or are we best to go with this and throw the ball every down or whatever? And I think that if you evaluate, I think Matt Fink can can uh, run and, and throw the ball. I think Jack Sears can run and throw the ball. I think Jack is a little bit more right now ahead of Matt because he played that one game and, uh, I like what he did in that one game against Arizona State. And you got JT, who, of course, is uh, the starter from last year and can throw the football. But can he run the football? No. Not to the point of where he wouldn't be injured or, or you know, start to slide five yards short of the first down on third down. So you've got to be able to decide what you're going to do. If you don't want him to run, then you put in an offense where you have a lot of things that uh, you accomplish the same thing, trap draws, all these different type of things that uh, that uh, make the difference for you. But when you know the quarterback's not going to run, it's a lot different playing defense. Believe me, so much simpler when you know where the guy's going to be. And uh, so I think it's, the, the, it's going to be determined by your offensive coordinator and the head football coach on what they put together as a plan, evaluating – how they can win. What's the best way to win? And that's what they got to decide. And that's what they get paid to decide, not the popularity contest or what we think. It's what they think they can be successful in against the people they play. So that's why they get paid big bucks. And that's why we don't make any money and we talk about it. Yeah. Do we, uh, <laughs> that's what we do. It would be nice to get the big bucks, but, uh, you know, I wasn't in your case, you know, being a coach, former coach like you, coach, the big bucks guy. But we like talking about oh, it. Oh, yeah. We don't mind. <laughs> um, all right, coach. Well, that's going to wrap it up for today. We'll uh, get back and practice this week. So uh, it'll be interesting to see how the second week of practice goes and get your thoughts on everything that, that goes on uh, out there. So we'll, we'll we'll chat with you again next week, coach. And thanks for coming on. Ryan, thanks. Again, I want to give out my Instagram. Oh, yeah. Uh, something new. I don't know if you're following me or not. I am, of course, Coach. Yeah. Oh, you are? Yeah, you're at Coach Harvey Hyde on Instagram, I believe, right? I think I'm, uh, no, I'm HarveyHyde.com. Well, that's your website address, so I think your Instagram. Oh, that's my website. No, my yeah. website is, yeah, well, help me out, will you, Ryan? I, I don't know what I'm I'm at. telling you, like, yeah, the Instagram here, I'll pull it up right now. But, yes, I do follow I'll you on the Instagram. Pull it up, because I want to get it right, because I, I want to get this right for all of our. Yeah. So, um, and you're doing some what videos is, and stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 
uh, on the Instagram. So I, I'm very impressed, Coach, that you're doing that. Uh, hold on, let me pull it up here. Pull it up. I'm sorry, everyone. Yeah, you have Coach, to for this, but it gives you time to go get a pencil. It is, it is at Coach Harvey Hyde. So just like your Twitter, it's at Coach Harvey Hyde. And uh, you got some, there's a picture of you and Eddie George on there you got. So that's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Some old pictures of you. Uh, you got Brandon, when you were at practice, you got one with Pete Arbogast and Brandon Hancock, former USC fullback. Right. Um, right. And some old pictures uh, from when you were coaching days and stuff. I like your, your haircut from back in the, you got the UNLV shirt on. It's pretty cool, coach. So there's some interesting stuff. If you want to follow, if you have an Instagram account, go to, co- at, I mean, you go to at Coach Harvey Hyde. You can follow him on Instagram. Good. I'm glad you got that cleared up for me, okay? Yeah. And to all of you out there, we want to thank you very much for being a part of the show, and uh, we look forward to uh, being back with you next week, okay? Sounds good, Coach. Thanks very much. And everyone else, thank you for tuning in to the Parastyle Podcast, and we will talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Parastyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.